morning comes from Luke chapter 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them this parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by the host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes to you, he may say, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be God. Please be seated. Well, before I moved to Mobile about two months ago, I was in school for 20 long years. Thirteen of those were in elementary school, middle school, and high school across the bay in Baldwin County. Four of those were at Huntington College in Montgomery, and the last three were at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. And especially in those last seven years of higher education, there was one thing that could bring people together like nothing else. Free food. In high school, I never really got that excited about free food because well, my mom paid for all my food. But in college, for the first time, I started to see that food can be really expensive. All of our welcome back events and fellowship events would have food because the leaders knew that it would bring people out of the woodwork. Most of the time, this free food would be pizza or tacos, you know, kind of easy, cheap meals. But on rare occasions, there would be opportunities for fancy free food at things like our friends' weddings. My friends and I would get so excited for the reception after a wedding because we knew there would be celebrations with dancing and music and the cake. Of course, I learned when planning my own wedding that the food is far from free. But still, for a college-age student, as being a guest at a wedding, it felt fun and extravagant to indulge with friends. And you know what? Jesus gets this, but I'm not. Jesus was fully human and understood that food brings people together. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus' ministry often revolved around food and meals. There was the wedding at Cana, the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous catch of fish, the Last Supper, and Jesus even made a fish breakfast for his friends after the resurrection. Jesus knows that meals and food bring people together in a way that many other things do not. But each time Jesus spoke about a meal, he was talking about more than just the food and the fellowship. Jesus used these meal times as a metaphor for the kingdom of God. Our scripture this morning begins with Jesus going over to the house of a Pharisee for dinner. 
And as a helpful background, I should tell you a little bit about these Palestinian wedding banquets. It was custom that the men would recline on couches while they ate. It was very fancy. And the seat of honor was the couch in the middle. And this seat of honor was chosen by wealth or power or office. And if someone more prominent arrived later, then the person in the, on the middle couch would have to move to a lesser, you know, less exciting couch on the outside. So Jesus is offering the Pharisees really practical advice to go ahead and choose the lower couches so that the host can invite you to a better one later on in the evening. It's kind of like when you set your expectations really low for something, then you know you won't be disappointed. Like, for instance, if you were going to Krispy Kreme and the hot and fresh light was off, you might be like, oh, well, I guess I'll just get, you know, a blueberry cake donut. So you go in expecting that you can't get the hot and fresh, but imagine your delight when there are hot and fresh donuts inside. What a delight. Or imagine if you're leading worship on Labor Day weekend and you think that maybe no one will be in church. <laughs> imagine your delight when there are more than five people in the service. It's simple. Low expectations lead to higher levels of excitement. But this meal parable is about more than where one sits at the table or about lowering your expectations for the sake of being pleasantly surprised. Jesus is teaching them something profound about the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God and God's values are not the same as human values. God's kingdom is not a place where the rich are seen as more valuable than the poor, or where humans struggle for status or recognition over one another. God's kingdom is a place where the humble are exalted, and the exalted are humbled because all are seen as equal in God's eyes. Jesus was a living example of these kingdom values throughout his life and ministry. His mother was a young virgin, his dad was a poor carpenter, and he was born in a stable. This is not the entrance we expect of a king or a messiah. From the very beginning of his life, Jesus was switching up the messages about what it means to be important or powerful in the kingdom of God. In Luke 4, Jesus says this, quoting the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Following these words, Jesus announces, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus' proclamation of good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, it sounds good, but it's not exactly what we see happening in the world around us. Often we see quite the opposite. But here Jesus says that these things, these freedoms, these liberations, are not reserved for some distant future, but can be a present reality today. You may have heard of the concept of the not yet in the already kingdom of God to explain this tension. Jesus made a way for the kingdom of God to be felt here on earth. We see glimpses of it when we humble ourselves and seek to live in peace with one another. But despite our best efforts to bring about justice and peace on earth, we are surrounded by poverty, hunger, oppression, and still more gun violence and senseless death. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet complete. 
For this reason, while we await the full realization of the kingdom of God, we continue to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. At the end of our passage, Jesus says, When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This language is not what we use to talk about people with different abilities today, but I think the point is still clear. People who have different abilities are often placed on the lowest rung of society, and even structurally spaces are not always open and accessible to them. We had an example two weeks ago in our sanctuary when a visitor came to the church and physically couldn't get his wheelchair into service. Because many historic buildings like our church weren't built with all people in mind, unfortunately this happens more often than not. It was uncomfortable to watch, but I can only imagine how uncomfortable it was for the visitor. And yet, in the midst of the discomfort, we saw a glimpse of the kingdom of God as church members came to help him in any ways that they could. They assisted in helping him get into the sanctuary for the service, and the man himself was surprised that he was touched by the service. It was our youth Sunday, the day that all the youth were leading in the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock service, and he sent an email to the church saying that he didn't really expect to feel the Holy Spirit, but he did. And I just thought, what a glimpse of the kingdom of God, that even in a situation that was so bad, that something so good could come from it. And after the service, we immediately had church members working to widen the doors so that this won't be a problem in the future. Then on Wednesday of this week, we hosted our monthly Jubilee service. This service was birthed from Reverend Thomas Irby's desire to have a comfortable space for people of all physical and intellectual abilities. In my two-month tenure here, I have been twice, and each service has left me feeling incredibly grateful for the diverse body of Christ. There are people of all ages, physical, intellectual abilities, races, life experiences, and we all gather to worship God together through prayers, songs, hearing the word of God proclaimed, communion, and then sharing a meal together at the end. It is a worship space that encourages the participation of all bodies, of all people, no matter their circumstances. And for me, both of these things give us glimpses of the kingdom of God. When church members see an accessibility issue in the sanctuary and immediately get to work so that it's not an issue in the future, we are quite literally making more room at the table. And likewise, when people of all abilities come together to worship God, we see a more complete picture of God. This passage invites Christians as followers of Jesus to live as Jesus lived, to position ourselves as less important than those around us, to humble ourselves to see that we are no better than any other. This passage is about the inclusion of all people, and especially people who are different than me. Because in God's kingdom, things like race, ethnicity, class, physical and intellectual abilities, gender, do not distinguish us. But if we allow them to define us, they will certainly disgrace us. These aspects of our identity that we think will give us the higher seats at the table mean nothing 
For it is not we who determine worth at God's table. Because the truth is, none of us are worthy to come to the table as we did this morning. We are all sinners who fall short of the vision that God has for our life, of the vision that God has for humanity. And yet, we are invited. We are encouraged. We are continually called to come and receive. This type of grace is nothing we can earn or deserve, no matter how good we are, how successful we are, how smart we are. And at this table and in this meal, all are welcome to taste and see that God is good. And there is always room for more at God's table. May this be so here and in our lives. Let us pray.